Monday edition of Smith and Jones. Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. Is it fair to say it's a gorgeous day in southern Ontario? I think the fact that maybe it's not minus 25 or 30, that just makes it a little bit more gorgeous. Um, nice little segue here. A gorgeous day of sports. A gorgeous weekend of sports across the board for the Toronto Raptors. Certainly for the Canadian men's national team as well on the pitch, on the soccer field. The great game yesterday in Hamilton. And, of course, the AFC-NFC championship as well. Hey, and let's not forget about a big win for the Toronto Maple Leafs as they put up a ton of goals on the weekend. Lots to discuss on a Monday, as per usual. Tons to dive into, but as we always do, we will start with the NBA and with the Raptors and a victory on Saturday night over the Miami Heat. A big-time win for the Raptors where Toronto was up by 15. Miami cut it to two. Toronto pushes the lead all the way back to 16, only to have the Heat come back, take a lead, look like they're about to win. Then Toronto ties it late, sends it to overtime, and we do three overtimes, triple OT. And I believe Jonesy noted on the weekend, for the first time ever in franchise history, the Raptors winning a triple overtime game as they beat the Heat the number one seed in the East. And Toronto now a game above 500, getting set for their tilt tonight in Atlanta. Certainly, Jonesy, a thrilling game. It took me a little while to recover in terms of the uh, the voice, oh, the yeah. throat the next day. Um, but I, I enjoyed putting in the extra time with you on Saturday night, and that was one, I don't know if it's fair to say one for the ages, but it was certainly one that I'll remember for quite some time because it was a highly entertaining, highly competitive back-and-forth game with a ton of thrilling moments. Fred Van Vliet was struggling big-time, big-time for 95% of the game and then hit a couple of monstrous shots in overtime. Scotty Barnes continues to impress. Man, like, I, I don't know where you want to go with it, but a lot to like from Saturday night. Um, of course, it's memorable, you know, and you say you don't know if it's an instant classic. It is. Uh, to me, anytime you play a game that goes into uh, three overtimes, and I think we were counting them on one hand before um, before Saturday night. You know, there was one against Utah, one against Washington. We did a triple overtime game in, in, in London, England, when the Raptors played the New Jersey Nets. Uh, I remember one against Vlade Divac, Peja Stojakovic, and, and company at the, at the Air Canada Centre before the name was changed. And I'm pretty sure I remember one in the first year where A.C. Earl just ran out of gas against his old team, the Boston Celtics. So there aren't that many triple overtime games, E. So when you, when you, when you look at it that way, yeah, it's an instant classic. And what always makes those, uh, you know, as we say, classics or, 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 or so memorable is the fact that the chances that both teams had that they, they couldn't take advantage of, but more importantly, the plays that each side make, um, especially on the winning side. Like, you know, if you're Miami, you're going to say, man, we really found something in Gabe Vincent. And, boy, Jimmy Butler is is really a guy that you can hitch your wagon to. Like, that, all of these things come to mind. And if you're Toronto, you, you said it. The, the first thing, Eric, was – Fred Van Vliet, I, I never forget this, Larry Bird talking about the late Dennis Johnson, how poorly he played or shot the ball through three quarters. And then he said, I only passed it to him in the fourth quarter when it was important because that's when he made the shot. And that, that, was, that was Fred. It's, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how many you missed. You know, the, our, our colleague Leo Routen says the, the shooter's credo, make till you miss, miss till you make. And, and, and Fred finally started to make a few, and, he start, and, and they were big ones late in the game. In overtime, when they were important, um, OG was terrific with his 14 rebounds. Uh, how about the rookie? How about the youngster, Scotty Barnes, stepping forward and, and doing what he did? Not to mention, the, the I don't care what level you're at, when you have two free throws to tie a game or to win a game with, you know, less than maybe a possession left on the clock, that's that's pressure. And the kid stepped up, so... Um, uh, it, it was it was memorable, uh, an instant classic, e instant classic, and let's hope they have some left tonight for Atlanta. Well, and the good thing I guess about the game tonight, or the potentially good thing, I shouldn't say it is good. We don't know if it'll be good. 
uh, much like Saturday's game uh, against the Heat, a rare, fairly rare back-to-back at home. Toronto hasn't had many of them themselves, and they're getting it again with Atlanta tonight. The Hawks, the hottest team in the Eastern Conference, not in the NBA, as that crown is bestowed upon the Phoenix Suns, who just continued to run roughshod over a bunch of teams in the uh, NBA this year. I mean, they've been incredible. We can talk about them perhaps a little bit later on. But the Atlanta Hawks, and we've said it on our show, we've said it many times, is Atlanta actually this bad? Can they turn it around? Was last year a blip? When will they get it together? We expect them to rise. Well, take a look, folks. Seven wins in a row. Now just a game below 500, only a game back of the Raptors. They are currently the 10th seed. They're five back of the 6th seed. Oh, by the way, the 6th seed now, the Brooklyn Nets, who have lost four in a row to fall down to six. Talk about them a little bit later as well but seven in a row for the Hawks. But they win last night over the Lakers, and now they get the Raptors tonight in the fairly rare back-to-back at home. So Toronto rested, sort of, (laughs) sort of, because they didn't practice yesterday, but Jonesy, Saturday night, not only was the Rook impressive, and we'll get to him in a second, some of the comments after the game about Scotty Barnes, but the entire starting lineup going for 54-plus minutes like Nick Nurse emptied out the tank on these guys, and they sat and did nothing yesterday, probably just watched a whole lot of football and, and relaxed and got in treatment uh, at the hotel in Atlanta. But they better have something in the tank for tonight because now Toronto gets the back-to-back as they will have to do a fairly late-night flight home. The flight from Atlanta, correct me if I'm wrong, is about two and a half hours. might even be a little bit more. So it's going to be a late-night arrival in Toronto and then crank it back up for the heat tomorrow night. Yeah, um, it's uh, it's it's life in the NBA, right? It, it is it is kind of what it is. Everybody's dealing with it. Um, and uh, Atlanta big win yesterday over the ninth place Los Angeles Lakers. Ninth place Los Angeles Lakers at twenty four and twenty seven. Uh, boy, love love the drama in the NBA. But if you're the Raptors, yeah, I mean it's. It's it's basically three and four nights with the same team in a in a playoff type scenario with somebody squashed in between, who by the way is pretty good. So, uh, if you're the Raptors, you just just keep hanging in there. Game over five hundred. Uh, keep looking at the loss column. They're tied with the Charlotte Hornets in the loss column. And as you said, the Brooklyn Nets right now, backing their way through their backing their way through the field like they're they're. They're in reverse right now, losing four in a row, dropping to six. And uh, I, I, I don't know if I envision Brooklyn in a playing scenario. I, I, I don't know if Kevin Durant. I know I didn't. James Harden. I know out. I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> I, did, I didn't either. But hey, man, as we always say, this game, strange things happen. Sometimes, you know, the truth is is stranger than fiction. And you know, here here here's Brooklyn, who number one in in the uh, NBA in the East at one point albeit early and now all of a sudden you know they're they're looking at five teams in front of them so the east is is so tough look at washington with their great start they're below the line now mm-hmm. the knicks yet uh, the knicks who were so good last year and got into the playoffs and they're 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 too below the line and you know it was interesting cuz we I got talking with a buddy of mine about the knicks and he made a great point, you know, as, as much as we look at Julius Randle for the Knicks and oh, how great he was last year, last year was the blip. If you look at his numbers, he, he's playing more in line with the rest of his career this year than he did last year. So, you know what? Maybe he's not always that guy for the Knicks. So... Uh, the East is interesting. You gotta love it. You gotta watch it all the way. It's like a good movie, man. Don't take your eyes off it because you'll miss something. Yep, Miami's still the number one seed at 32 and 18, in spite of the loss to the Raptors on Saturday night. Chicago sitting in second, just a uh, half game back. Philadelphia has jumped all the way to third, a game and a half out of that number one spot at 30 and 19. And the other team that would have home court advantage if we were to start today, the Cleveland Cavaliers, at 30 wow. and 20. The Cavs, 10 games above 500. I, I, I'll keep saying it. I'll say it right to the last game of the season. I can't believe it. I don't believe it. 
Uh, I don't want to believe it, but they keep proving me wrong with every game that passes, and kudos to them for what they are doing. And and obviously, uh, the fabulous, fabulous rookie season that uh, Evan Mobley is having, Jonesy, in any other year, um, I think we'd be, I don't know if we'd be talking necessarily about a landslide, but it certainly seems like Scotty Barnes would be number one. But if the Cavaliers keep this up, and I don't see any signs of them slowing down, not slowing down to the point where they're going to free fall big time, I don't think Scotty's going to win it. I think he's more than deserving with the type of season he's having. But if Mobley's putting up similar, if not better, numbers on a fourth-place team, on a playoff team, I don't think Scotty's got a chance to win this award if Mobley keeps doing what he's doing. And, th- and that's fine. It's not to say that Scotty's bad. Yeah, he's a hell yeah. of a player and a, and a future all-star. But if Mobley keeps this up, and the Cavs more specifically keep this up, he's winning the rookie of the year. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 winning does it. Winning does it. And, you know, Scotty probably finished second or third in the voting. Kate Cunningham's really coming on now. Yep. And then I get into the – I get into the um, – uh, how, do I, how do I say it? Sometimes the, the, the ambivalence, the, the – the, 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 I'm looking for a word here. The, ap- the apathy of some of our American-based colleagues in terms of watching Toronto and maybe putting their eyes on Scotty Barnes – so I think he's going to be two, three. He'll be certainly in the top top four, five in rookie voting. And I, I'm, I will predict, unless he gets hurt, he will be first team all rookie. Um, you know that. That being said, uh, boy, give Evan Mobley, give Jared Allen, uh, Darius Garland. How about our, our friend of the show, our guy JB Bickerstaff? We knew him when, and he just signed a big deal with Cleveland. Give them credit, man. You, you, you give them credit. They are, they are, they have forged an identity and a style, and they're playing and they're sticking to it, and it's been successful. So again, let's go back to Saturday night. Speaking of the rookies, Scotty Barnes with twenty-two points in fifty-six minutes, seven of thirteen from the floor, adding nine rebounds, three assists, and a steal as well. Uh, but a key moment in the game, late two free throws to tie the game uh, and help continue the game as the Raptors ultimately win it in triple overtime after the ball game. Um, speaking on the rookie, here is Fred Van Vliet. Scotty is one of those guys. He is, uh, he is um, a young star in the making. And, you know, unfortunately, everybody's at the mercy of his development and his maturity process. That's the way it goes when you have a top pick and a a talent like that. And um, he's been playing at a really high level. Uh, He's shown a little bit of everything and he's, he's playing center for us. I'm not sure that's his natural position and he, he can do it all score, assist, make plays, um, defend. He was guarding Bam. He was guarding Jimmy. um, And he stepped up and made two big free throws uh to to get us you know into overtime and there was never a doubt in my mind that that he was gonna knock him down interesting there jones and, and let me make this clear folks i am not starting a controversy at all I'm, I'm i'm merely you know nitpicking perhaps on did fred mean to say fortunately or unfortunately because when he said we're at the mercy of his development, I assume he means that in a good way based on everything else he said. I don't think there was any, any, any negative context to that. But just the way he said, unfortunately, or did he mean to say fortunately? Because it is fortunate that they are at the mercy of his development right now. That is a key, though, Jonesy, going forward with this thing. And again, I'm not painting a negative. I'm painting what hopefully is a very, very big positive. But it's a reality of you assumed going into this season that there was this hierarchy, this pecking order, in some way, shape, or form, however it's going to land, Fred Van Vliet, Pascal Siakam, OG, and Anobi. And then Siakam's not ready to start the season, and OG kind of t- take the reins. People forget that maybe the first uh, couple of weeks at least of the season, as well as Fred was playing, and he was. He was playing at an elite all-star level, but the guy on a lot of nights that the Raptors were looking to, and the guy that was carrying the load quite a bit, was OG and Anobi. Then OG gets hurt for a bit, and all of them deal with COVID protocols. But Pascal eventually comes back, and, and, and he's ha- playing at an all-star level better, arguably, than his all-star season. And all this time, there's this kid that's not so slowly coming along. He's coming along like gangbusters, big time, having an incredible rookie season. And now you start projecting ahead to next year and to the seasons beyond that. Talent is a good thing. Don't get me wrong. But how do you think this is going to 
play out in terms of, you know, the Raptors have shown Jonesy they are an unselfish team. They are more about the, the, the we instead of the me. I get all that, throwing all the cliche lines there, but there still is on any team a certain kind of pecking order. And how do you kind of massage it and keep it together with now Pascal, OG, Fred, and a guy in Scotty Barnes that may very well be the number one guy by heck next season, let alone a couple of years from now? It, it, it's a good it's a good problem to have and no doubt positive you treat problem. it yeah you treat it the way uh you, you treat it the way that you would if you had uh i don't know i'm trying to think of a, a team in the past if you had your showtime lakers eric with james worthy who could have been a number one guy in any team and magic johnson who was a lot of the time the number one guy when he kind of took over from Kareem, who was the number one guy. Uh, you, you had a, a Norm Nixon who could have been a number one guy, a Byron Scott who was a fourth pick overall and be and could have been a number one guy. And you have a have something like that. I'm not saying you you give the ball to one guy all the time. And I you know you know you look at the Raptors now, and I think it's you develop it the same way. Sometimes it's Scotty. But sometimes it's your veterans. Sometimes it's Fred. Sometimes it's Pascal. Uh, sometimes it's OG. You've got different guys that you can go to, and that's what makes them so dangerous. Uh, you know, we said it last night. If people could have seen us in the studio after the game on Saturday night, man, this team, the Toronto Raptors, when they are healthy, they are going to be a tough, tough out they are going to be a tough out. And, and that includes three guys who are on the, four guys who are on the championship team and a rookie in Scotty Barnes. It, it does. And, and you'd think, well, you know, they, they're, they're an eighth place team. How can they be a tough out? Hey, man, they, trust me, they're going to be a very, very tough out. And I, I, I would say this it's a good problem to have, Eric, when you're talking about the pecking order. Some nights it might not be Scotty's night, and if it's not his night when he's, you know, one of the number one guys, the same way if it's not Fred's night or Pascal's night when they're the number one, the number one guy, there's somebody there to pick them up, OG, somebody else. So I think it's a good problem. I, I, don't, I, don't, think you, I don't think you kind of rejig, the, you know, your, quote, pecking order. I think you let it play out, let it develop. Remember, part of Scotty's development is – being around winning people he's not uh he's not uh, I, I don't know trey young in the first few years in atlanta or uh you know a, a, a De'Aaron fox or a, a tyrese halliburton or or you know one of those guys that comes into the league and he's he's not in a great place in terms of winning for the development there's a lot of bad habits being formed there's you know, there's a lot of losing, and then you're trying to win, so you pick up more bad habits just trying to get wins. Uh, look at look at what's happened in New Orleans. You know, Zion Williamson, like, he's hurt. Uh, you know, Brandon Ingram, he was an all-star last year, but where is the team this year? Uh, you know, what's happening in OKC? Like, all of these things. Scotty's not in that situation. He's in a winning situation, and it makes the 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 curve of his development in my eyes very different because you've got some winning sprinkled into the development scotty barnes again on saturday night 22 points nine rebounds in the victory the triple overtime victory for the raptors all five of the starters playing 54 plus minutes barnes ananobi siakam and trent 56 minutes each. Oh, yeah, by the way, Ananobi with the double-double, Siakam with the double-double, and Gary Trent Jr. going for 30-plus for a third straight game. He had never done it in his career twice. Now he's done it three times in a row. Fred Van Vliet, 19 points, eight assists, four boards, two blocks, and a steal, only 7 of 22 from the floor, including 5 of 14 from distance. An off-night shooting, no doubt. But it didn't matter because it was an on-night shooting when it mattered most, stepping up in OT with a couple of big bombs and clutch buckets. And here's Nick Nurse after the ball game on Fred Van Vliet. Yeah, I mean, he obviously hit two huge ones, right? And he had one really important drive 
down the right side for a layup. I thought when we were we were really struggling to get a bucket, and he made a great, you know, left to right crossover and got a layup. And I think it was on Tucker or Butler, one of the two. It was one of the one of the you know better, bigger defenders. So it was a, it was a heck of a move there. And you know, like I already said, I, I just kept telling the team at every time out and at every break between the overtimes is we are getting unbelievably great shots. Just keep doing what we're doing and somebody make a couple. Let's let's get out of here. And um, I think I think Freddie's were probably the worst of the uh, of the open looks that we got. But he but he stepped up huge as he does. Right. And knocked him down. Jonesy, I don't know about you. Fred's at the point for me on almost any bucket but especially on threes. Like, when he drives into the lane, I don't care if it's the first quarter, if it's in the, you know, in the, in the, in the fourth or overtime. He drives in. There's times I think, okay, yeah, is he going to get caught among the trees? Might he get a shot blocked? We've seen him, you know, sometimes even just miss on a layup because he's taking an awkward angle. He's, you know, he's a smaller dude, and he's trying to navigate his way through. When he spots up for a three, I don't care if he's on the line or if he's six feet by, beyond it. I'm almost at the point where I'm anticipating or expecting it to go in every time. Like, and, and I know it's not going to go in every time, but I think that certainly speaks to the confidence that I have, that I'm sure fans have, and certainly that Nick Nurse just spoke about, the confidence he has in going to Fred, and I'm sure the confidence Fred has in taking those shots. And like I'm expecting them to go in, he's expecting to make those shots as well. Yeah, no, no question. He, I mean, that's, you know. I mean, I know that sounds stupid. You don't take a shot cut. expecting to miss. No. <laughs> but, I mean, you know what I'm saying. You expect it to go in. You have the confidence to take that shot. And I'm, I'm, every time he shoots, like, I'm, I'm almost at the point where I'm disappointed if it doesn't go in because I just assume it will because he's been hitting so many of those big shots for how many years now? Shooters have that confidence that the next one's going in. doesn't matter how many you've 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 missed the next one's going in and you you know to to use the the coaching vernacular you shoot it with conviction step into it and and shoot it like and and expect that it's going to go in and when it doesn't go in you know you you say dang that didn't go in and maybe i was leaning a little bit left that's okay the next one's going down and and hence the mantra i i i you know i spit out before Make till you miss, miss till you make. Hey, man, shoot the next one because it's going in. It's, it's only when you start turning down shots. And, and Fred, you know, we talked about how what a rough night he had on Saturday. But he just, he knew the next one was going in, right? Like the, the percentages are, well, I've, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm one for 12. Okay, well, I'm, I'm a 40% shooter. The next six are going to go in or the next five are going to go in. So... I'm with you though, Eric. They're, they're, he's one of those guys, and you know, there's a lot of a lot of guys that I look at on the team with that. To me, they they have that kind of confidence, and their stroke looks so good that when they shoot it, you think, "Wow, that's that's that didn't go in." You know, I, hey, look at Scotty Barnes. He took 14 three-point attempts on Saturday night. I had to look back at the box score to make sure I was seeing that right. Scotty Barnes. Uh, or sorry, Fred Van Vliet was 5 of 14. He took 14 three-point attempts. And I know he had a tough night, but do you remember 10 misses or 9 misses? I don't. Well, no, and it, it, can, I, can I – I don't want to switch gears from Freddie, but Gary Trent, now maybe he cooled as the evening went on. He was red hot to start. Again, still finished with a team-high 33. He was only one better at 5 of 15. or t- Excuse me, one worse at 5 of 15. I don't remember him having 10 misses from the floor, period. No. Let alone from distance. And as it turns out, he had 15 misses. He was 13 of 28, yeah. which is still a hair shy of 50%. But still, you know, you and I were, were, were singing his praises big time because everything he was, I mean, he was knocking him down clean. And he clearly, you know, had a, a rough spell second half, maybe into overtime because I don't remember him having 15 misses. Oh, yeah, by the way, Fred Van Vliet had 15 misses. But we, you look and think, man, Fred had a rough night, 7 of 22. Oh, my goodness. And, and at one point he was, I think, 3 of 15. Like he finished stronger, certainly, than he started. Meanwhile, it's a flip of Gary. Gary was icing everything early on. And at the end of the night, the dust settles. 
Both guys missed 15 shots, and actually Gary ended up missing more from distance. <laughs> Meanwhile, he had 33 yeah. points, and we say he had a hell of a game, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and the other thing we're not talking about in all of this, Eric, is the other side of the ball, how the Raptors were so tough defensively. You know, a play stands out from Pascal Siakam, principle of verticality, taking the, the, dr the driving layup on Jimmy Butler, thwarting that, and then getting back on his pogo stick and blocking the, 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 the shot that Butler came down with. Uh, they hold Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero to a combined 5 of 27. Like, Duncan Robinson was... He was, he was just another body on the floor that wasn't helping Miami. No points, 0 of 5, and they sniffed them out on defense and went at him. So, um, again, and that's coaching staff, too. Give them credit for their game plan and the players for executing it. It was, it was a terrific win. I keep saying this. This team's going to be a tough out. This team's going to be All a right. tough out, you know. 56, 56, 56, 56, and 54. The minute allocation, again, to hammer home that point uh, for the starting five off the wow. bench on e. Saturday. Whew. E, I yeah. thought you were reading out my marks in high school. No, 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 no. Oh. Those, Jonesy, you were like 66. That's, those are my marks there. Well, at least, at least in math. At least in math. Um. Off the bench, though, I don't think I had, a, I had any marks like this. Maybe once or twice. 16 minutes for Precious Achua. 12 for Chris Boucher, who could not stay out of foul trouble. And 9 minutes, not bad as well. The numbers don't say it, but I thought he played decent in his 9 minutes. Delano Banton. But Jonesy, 16, 12, and 9. Only three dudes off the bench. Precious with the only one that really had any sort of major impact. How much of a concern is that moving forward? I'll let you answer that question after we hear from Nick Nurse, who addressed the bench, the lack of use, et cetera, especially in a triple overtime game. I think you don't expect it to just keep going and do another over another over another. You think, you know, you got five more minutes to play and you're going to probably ride it there and then it, <clears throat> it keeps happening. I, I didn't nah, they were, they were, um, connected those five guys and there was there was no need to sub anybody everybody was chipping in everybody was playing well if I'm not mistaken it was at the 845 mark of the fourth quarter that he went back to his starters and nobody else from the bench saw a single second after that they finished the final 845 of regulation and then all five guys played the entirety of each of the three overtime sessions so again only three guys off the bench precious with the bench high of 16 minutes and then Boucher with 12 Banton with nine we've discussed this we'll continue to discuss this how sustainable is this and tying into this Jonesy and the bigger question is if it isn't sustainable or if you don't like your bench or if you want more from your bench and need more from your bench how do you improve your bench without making a deal that involves one of your core guys because to give excuse me to get something you have to give something and if these guys aren't playing, does that sort of handcuff Bobby Webster and Masai Ujiri in terms of what they attempt to do, if they are even able to or wanting to do anything? It's kind of a, a dilemma right now. I don't have a problem with the starters playing. I've said before, and I think you're the same. I would probably be coaching the same way. I'm going to roll with the dudes that are playing well, the guys that I have confidence in, and I'm not just going to give you minutes because you're on the team. you got to earn it. And, and earning it is not only hard work and practice, but at the end of the day, man, this is a results league. If you go in, and, and don't tell me, and I'm not saying you did, Jonesy, don't tell me that Utah Watanabe hasn't had opportunities this year, that Sfima Hailuk hasn't had opportunities, that Boucher or Banton or Achua haven't had opportunities. The only guy that might, might, might have a bit of a case is... I think we all assumed, especially with Goran Dragic gone, that we would see more of Malachi Flynn than what we have. Now that tells me that either he's not done his job in practice or something else is there, or it's the development of Scotty Barnes as a playmaker, a ball handler, a facilitator, and hence Nick Nurse liking what he gets from Scotty, or even what he's seen in spurts from Delano, hence the reason Banton played Saturday and Flynn didn't. I, that's the only guy I think there's a case for, because everybody else I think has had their chances, and if they're not performing, I think it's about looking in the mirror, not looking at the coach. I agree. 
Um, look, Nick's, Nick's trying to win games, uh, trying to position the team. And you give guys chances if they don't take advantage, uh, then you, you know, people, will, the minutes police come out, I call them, the minutes police. Everybody looking at, okay, well, you know what, put a guy in on your bench and then, you know, tear your hair out or, or wring your hands and make fists and, and bounce them up and down at your side as he makes mistakes. If you don't want that, then you don't put him in. And, and I, I think part of it, too, is the way Nick is doing it, limited spurts. Limit, the, the longer a guy goes that's, that you might not trust or maybe doesn't have the full skill set or isn't playing as well, the longer he goes playing that way, the more you get exposed. It might be good for five minutes, but all of a sudden when you get to 12 or 15 minutes, uh, it, 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 you know, it's, as my, my late father used to say when I played well, I, hey, man, I don't know if the drugs kicked in or they wore off, but good job. And so you, you don't know what's going to happen with that guy. So you give him limited minutes. You, you, you keep him on a short leash. And if Nick has to do that to win games, then, then they do that. If they pay the price at some point with guys being tired, and I'll tell you this, no player wants to come out of a game. They may not necessarily say they're tired, but if you ask them if they want to come out, it's like, no. So um, it, that's up to the coach. And Nick will judge when a guy needs a rest or, you know, tell a guy, hey, I, I need you right now. You can't be tired. Get out there and ball. Okay, I need a rest right now. It's been 30 minutes. We need a break. Let's oh, step aside oh. for a couple right now and come oh. back with our guy Howard Beck from Sports Illustrated. And we will actually continue to talk about the Toronto Raptors because, Howard, we speak about that national spotlight. You were just addressing it 10 minutes or so ago about some of the brethren, some of the colleagues stateside. Well, Howard shining a spotlight on the Raptors and one man specifically, Fred Van Vliet, right now as he dove into the all-star credentials and the all-star case for Freddie. As we get the reserves announced later on this week, we will discuss Van Vliet and more with Howard Beck from Sports Illustrated when we continue on Smith & Jones. Back on Smith & Jones, Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. Raptors getting set for the Hawks. And the Raptors coming off a win on Saturday night over the number one team in the East, the Miami Heat. Toronto sitting a game above 500, And a big night for the Raptors overall. Big night for Fred Van Vliet. He started slow, came on strong, had a couple of big shots in the OT session, helping the Raptors secure that victory. And uh, later on this week, we will find out the reserves for the NBA All-Star game. Freddie is certainly deserving. Whether he is announced or not remains to be seen. In fact, we've talked, Jonesy, about Pascal Siakam. His numbers this year, his impact this year, arguably better than his all-star season a couple of years ago. I don't know if a team that's below that number six seed in the play-in tournament is going to get two reserves, let alone one. Uh, but the case could certainly be made for both. But Freddie has had a fantastic season. And some folks are starting to notice a little bit more. Uh, to discuss that... And more. We always love chatting with Howard Beck from Sports Illustrated. And you can see his latest piece at SI.com under the headline, Fred Van Vliet is the NBA star no one saw coming. Howard, thanks for the time today. Good morning, guys. How are you? I'm, we're great, Howard. Um, man, quite a, quite a weekend of sports and uh, uh, had a chance to read your piece on, on Fred Van Vliet. It's something that... Um, Eric and I, I mean, more so me, because I've kind of seen it longer, I guess, than, than Eric has, how some of our, 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 our brethren, present company excluded, uh, in the U.S. media do not always give the Raptors uh, the attention they should. And, I, and I'll say this, Eric, uh, you know, back in the early days when I was traveling and we went to New York, I could always see Howard as a fixture, kind of leaning against the scorer's table, just on the Raptors side of midcourt at Madison Square Garden and just just waiting to kind of get the drop and figure out what's going on. And he came with the questions and stuff. So, as I said, present company excluded. But, Howard, in your piece, you talk about that. Has, has Fred snuck up on some of our people uh, in the media that they, they haven't really paid a lot of attention to him? I think it's broader than that, Jonesy. I don't really even think it's about – because the thing is with basketball media – we're the ones paying, I would think, the most attention, right? Like the people who are most in tune with what Fred Van Vliet is, what he's become, how he's gotten there, would be 
everybody in, in Toronto, right? Your media, your fans, and, and that True. staff, that, that organization, right? Outside of that, I would think basketball media actually are probably the most in tune because it's our job. Um, when I'm alluding in the story to the idea that he's this all-star no one saw coming, it's partially just because he's taken an incredibly unique path. Not too many guys go from undrafted to all-star in the first place, assuming he, he makes the all-star team. And I think he should, and I think there's a, a good chance he will. It's up to the coaches. But it's also that, you know, there is nothing – there's no one thing about Fred Van Vliet that you would say, well, here's his one dominant trait – athletically, I mean, you know, like it's hard for us to put a, there's no statistic for how hard a guy works or how early he shows up or how confident he is. So all these things that make Fred Van Vliet better than the sum of his, his physical parts in a way is, are the intangibles, but you're, and and look, he is by historical standards, an elite three point shooter at this stage, a guy who's flirting with 40%, but by modern day standards, I think I, I, I was, I put this in the story. He's only like I don't know, 37th or something in three point percentage because so many guys are now shooting in that, in that range. It, like, there's no one thing, he, you know, as I, as I wrote, he's not jumping over guys. He's not, you know, uh, you know, leaving you, you know, he's not mm-hmm. shaking you out of your, your shoes with his killer crossover, like he's got a lot of stuff in his game, but there's no one thing. So he doesn't fit the typical profile. And so it's not that we couldn't see that this is a guy who is, is working his butt off and who has had his moments and who's not afraid of the moment and who has made improvements every year and is just continually climbed. It's, it's just so subtle. It's, it, it's, you know, we're used to more the John Morant model, high pick, Comes in lots of, of 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 natural gifts that make him that give him the 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 outline of what could be a future star, and then you wait to see what happens, and suddenly you you look up and you're like, oh my God, John Morant is here in in year three. Um, that's the typical rise. What Fred Van Vliet is doing, it's almost more akin to like Jimmy Butler, right? Who who was you know what thirtieth overall pick I think back in in, in his draft. And averaged like five, six points a game for his first few years, and then suddenly in, in year, whenever it was, five, six, seven, somewhere, you know, he he was another kind of late bloomer. And I, I would I would say the same thing of Jimmy Butler: more physical gifts or attributes coming into the league than Ben Van Vliet, especially you know, uh, given just Jimmy's size. But another guy who kind of built himself into what he is now. You know, it, it's interesting, Howard. It's a great comparison that you make, and and for us at least, and I'm, I I think you would agree. The, 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 the example that we often use here is the guy that he just sort of took the reins from and played alongside yes. for a number of years in Kyle Lowry. And maybe, maybe that's why, yes, he's also the hometown guy, so you see him more, but it doesn't look weird or out of place because it's almost like you've gone from this, this smaller in stature, uh, you know, uh, not talked a whole ton about, gritty, defensive-minded, three-point shooting, all-round, just multi-tool player in Kyle Lowry and... Just slide over, and now Fred VanVleet takes over, and it's almost like you haven't skipped a beat. And 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 that to me is is a testament to Kyle as much as it is to Fred, where he's at right now. No question. And the the interesting thing about that is that it, you like you could not have imagined a better place for VanVleet to have landed um, when he signed that 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 contract after being undrafted, right? Like one. The Raptors are one of the best player development organizations in the NBA. We know that. So that's a great place to land if you're an undrafted player who's looking to go somewhere where you're going to find you know, the right environment. But two, is there a better mentor possible than Kyle Lowry, um, both positionally and I think temperamentally? And as you, you point out, because Kyle traveled that path. You know, Kyle was a, a late first rounder, bounced around a bunch of teams, you know, wasn't really thought of as a guy who was going to you know, was never thought of as a guy who could become a perennial all-star and built himself into that through sheer force of will. And, you know, yeah, there's so much about those two that seems parallel from just their, their physical build to some of the way that uh, they, the, you know, the, the, the way they carry themselves on the court, the toughness, um, the defensive tenacity. And I, you know, I would love to know, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall or to have, you know, a, a, a library of tapes of the conversations between Kyle Lowry and Fred Van Vliet over the last, you know, five years. Um, what, what was that like? Because I, I have to imagine a lot of wisdom was imparted in a, in a way that really made sense because of their similar past. 
Uh, Howard, I, you know, I, I, you wrote in your piece uh, how Norm Powell talked about the, the, the battles that they had in practice. And that's, that's a lot of times where in the NBA or a, even at the high college or, or, you know, professional level somewhere else, that's a lot of times where you forge your respect amongst your teammates and coaches because they know who's given it to who in practice and they know who's, who's there early, who stays late, um, and, and, and people who become, without a, a C on their chest as a captain, people that become de facto leaders. And, I mean, you know, Fred's always been that in Toronto. Now he's getting a chance to show it. You know, here's the thing. If Fred's numbers were 70% of what they are now, and we weren't talking about him as an all-star, we, were just ta- we would just be talking about him as like a really good, solid player, you know, as part of some ensemble cast or something, right? If he were not in an, in an all-star discussion, the anecdotes and the, the quotes that I got from Norm Powell, from DeMar DeRozan, um, Nick Nurse, from anybody else you could, that I could have talked to who has been around him, would have been the same. Like the testimonials to, to, to Fred's uh, diligence and his, his work ethic, his leadership, everything, like all those things would still be the same. He, he, you know, it, it's the all-star payoff um, is, is, you know, this kind of validation on some level, again, assuming it comes, and the numbers are there to back up the idea that he has become a, a, a true difference maker at a, at a very high level. But again, even if his opportunities weren't as much, like the, the things that those guys told me would have been the same because they speak to the way that, that Fred carries himself, how he's wired, how committed to the game he is, how thoughtful he is. Um, and so those, like, those are the things that are the most important, right? Like the stats are a great result, and if he gets all-star, that's a great result. But it's, it's who he is that I think is at the, the, the core of this story. Speaking with Howard Beck from Sports Illustrated. Howard, anytime we have a discussion like this in any sport, um, the, the obvious question is always, well, how did so many people get this wrong? Or how did other people not see this? And how did he go undrafted? Let me leave that aside because maybe you can see why. And, and you can see how Fred, as we've discussed, built himself into this type of person and the player development of the Raptors that you touched on, etc. But how did teams miss after they actually had a chance to see him? in the initial couple of years because he signed a contract with the Raptors and there were suitors. Hey, we can't really criticize the Phoenix Suns based on how they're playing now and the type of season they had last year, let alone this year. But the Suns were one of those teams that were said to be in on Fred and ultimately opted not to. The Knicks were one of those teams as well. There were a handful of teams. How did so many teams not make more or do more to try and pry him away from Toronto when they maybe had the chance? Yeah, you named some of them. I mean, listen, you guys know I'm based in New York. I thought the Knicks, and they had cap room. I thought that they should have, like, maxed them out. Like, when we talk about overpaying guys, like, you know, I don't mean it as a, as a sideways thing. It's like sometimes you pay more. If you, even if you think a guy's not a max player, you do it because you really need what that guy brings to the table. I thought the Knicks were the perfect landing spot for him. Here they were with a new administration. They want to establish a new culture. You know that Fred's a great culture guy. You know that he's going to be a leader from day one in the locker room, and he's going to be committed at both ends. Um, plus, there's there's just the obvious talent there. And I thought by that point when he became a free agent, I thought the Raptors were in real danger of losing him because I thought somebody might do the overpay thing, just max him out, just just blow the Raptors out of the water and, and force them to, to, you know, to get uncomfortable payroll-wise, right? And nobody did. And I think to an extent maybe, you know, maybe people had already gotten kind of word that you know, he's, he, he wants to stay and that they're going to go all out to, to keep him. Maybe there was some of that. I think there were still some doubts, and I did talk to a couple of people around that time around the league about, like, you know, why isn't anybody going all out to, to try to steal him from Toronto? I think there were some people who still looked at him as he's a really, really good guard, but we're not sure if he's your full-time point guard. And if you think about it, that was Kyle, too, once upon a time. Like, oh, I like a lot of what this guy does, but is he really the guy to run my team full-time? Is he really an elite playmaker? You know, he's not going to – he's not – you know, blowing by guys, beating them off the dribble consistently to break down a defense. You know, he's not quite as, as athletic as some of the elite players at the position. I think those were the things that were still kind of circulating. And listen, it, it's funny in this league, like 
sometimes you can you can uh, you know talk yourself out of something that that would otherwise be obvious. You know, you you, you look at it and you're like, like there's all these great things about Fred VanVleet, and then all these ways in which they already listed about how he could have been an asset to the to the Knicks or say a team like the Mavericks that still needs a point guard, a team like the Celtics <laughs> that is desperate, I think, for for somebody to run the team, like. But you, 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 before, you, when you're faced with that decision, whether it's in trade or free agency, you can sometimes start getting hung up on the, the caveats and what the guy doesn't have. And, you know, you can, um, you know, talk yourself out of something that, that maybe you shouldn't have. Uh, uh, Howard, um, what do you think eventually happens? Do you think the coaches give Fred a nod for the All-Star? It's so hard to read the coaches. Um I don't know what they're prioritizing. And I do think that with Siakam playing as well as he has, that, you know, they may look at them and look at the record and say, well, this is a team that's been hovering around 500. Do we really want to put on two Raptors out of the seven slots? And I listen, guys, I have not done the exercise. I was one of the media voters for the starters, um, but I haven't done the full exercise of like, if I had to pick the seven reserves right now, where would I go with it? Um, and so, you know, there are obviously some other guards who, you know, need to get on there. Um, I, I, I got to think Harden is, you know, almost a lock. Zach Levine should make it. You know, how do coaches feel about LaMelo versus Van Vliet? You know, you've got, you know, the two guard spots and then the two wild guard spots. And plus, they, they, can, they can fudge some stuff between guard and front court anyway on the reserves. Um, I, I don't know where that ends well, up. Well, Darius Garland. I believe. Howard? Yeah, Gar- Gar- yeah Darius Garland's, in that Garland's a guy that Eric and I have talked about. Yeah, yeah. Sure. So it's 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 tight. Um, you know, um, you know. I did ask Nick Nurse. I said, are you going to do some of that lobbying with your, your colleagues out there? He said, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, uh, you make your case as best you can. Um, I think the stat I found was a pretty compelling one uh, for, for the story that you guys alluded to earlier, that, you know, Fred's one of 11 guys who are averaging at least – what was it, 21 points, and what were my other two, uh, you know, six and four, or whatever it was. And everybody else on the list, aside from Fred, they were all like all MVPs, former MVPs, perennial all-stars. Like it, it's like that part of it says quite a bit. And, and yes, you can play with basketball reference and, and create all kinds of things if you want to. But this, this was a fairly straightforward um, grouping and, and, and list of, of statistical, you know, barriers. So, um I, I think he's deserving. Um, if I had to guess, I'm going to say he does make it. But, man, trying to mind-read the coaches is dangerous. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, if you can, you know you can make some money on that as well, Howard. Uh, listen, appreciate the time as always. Uh, and as I think I said last time, I'll keep saying it one of these days. be nice to actually see you in person. But uh, we always appreciate you carving out a, a little bit of time for us on the show. Thanks for this. Always a pleasure, fellas. Appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks, Howard. There is Howard Beck from Sports Illustrated. And, and, and Jonesy, I'll, I'll reiterate, I said it off the top. You've said it. We've said it. Howard just said it. Even with the record, I don't think the Raptors are getting two because of the record. But they've got to get one. And of the one, man, one of them's going to be left feeling upset, bitter, happy for their teammate. But still, like, Pascal is more than deserving, but so is Fred. And I think Fred's ultimately motivation, motivation, yeah. e, motivation yeah. for the second half of the season. That's the way you have Note to that. look at it. Hey, maybe that's what we should have in the NBA, Jones. You're always talking about the rules committee, competition committee, end of season all star. I guess you could technically say that's all NBA, but you know what I'm saying. All right, second uh, half we'll have all-star. more. Yeah, true, true. We'll have more on the Raptors as they get set for the Hawks. Plus a whole lot more. Make sure you subscribe to Smith and Jones wherever you get your podcast. Please rate and review as well. Back with more in a moment. Back on Smithy Jones, Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. Game day for the Toronto Raptors getting set for the Atlanta Hawks tonight. And... Joining us on the line right now to discuss this game and the Red Hot Hawks, the hottest team in the Eastern Conference. They've won seven in a row, climbing up the standings in the East. The longtime voice of the Hawks veteran broadcaster, Steve Holman. Steve, thanks for the time today. It's always my pleasure, Eric. Good to be out with you guys. 
Steve, I, I, I wish we were seeing you in person, not just so we could escape the cold a little bit, but just to, to actually be, be calling a game on the road and, and doing it in person and getting a chance to see you. But maybe next year, maybe next year. Um, uh, Steve, what has been the biggest reason for this turnaround in the last couple of weeks? Because I will tell you, we don't want to sound like we're like geniuses. We've gotten plenty wrong over the years as well. But at least two dudes in Toronto, not just in Atlanta, a couple of guys here north of the border have been saying for a while, uh, I don't think I buy this record. Uh, something's going to go on with this team. They're going to turn around. They can't be this bad. And they're making us look kind of like geniuses right now, the way the Hawks have been playing. What's <laughs> been the biggest turnaround right now? Well, I think the, the biggest thing is that they're healthy. Uh, you know, they had the first first clean injury report uh, since March uh, or January of 2020, just the other night. So uh, that's been the biggest thing. And, and, you know, they went through a stretch there. We, they had 12 guys out at one time for three or four games out of the West Coast trip because of the COVID stuff and protocols. And, uh, you know, there were guys playing that, you know, obviously I had never heard of. And, you know, you know the old saying, you know, can't tell the players without a scorecard well it was it was certainly true uh, for those games um and they had several that they probably could have postponed but you know miami got games postponed and chicago got games postponed but for some reason uh they did never postponed a hawks game and uh it really cost them a, a little bit during that stretch but 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 to, to, you know to get back to what what they're doing right now they're playing defense a lot better uh the defense has been so much better deandre hunter coming back has really helped that a lot uh, and Yeka Kongwu uh, is has been out half the year. He had surgery after the playoffs. Um, he had a torn pec, so he's just getting back and rounding in. And la- yesterday, the game against the Lakers, I mean, he had a, a phenomenal uh, fourth quarter. He held Anthony Davis down, and uh, he scored 12 points himself in that fourth quarter. So this kid's really got to be special. And uh, I think it's just a combination of things. And you know, whether it's a coincidence or not. Uh, they started turning things around eight games ago right after they traded Cam Reddish. So, uh, you know, he had wanted out. Uh, you know, maybe there was something going on in the locker room. I don't know. We don't we don't get to the locker rooms anymore, as you guys know, because of the COVID stuff. But we are traveling, uh, you know, on the plane and the hotels and everything. But, uh, you know, that seems to have been, you know, the old saying, addition by subtraction, maybe. I, I don't know. That, that, that that's, could be one factor. Uh, Steve, you, you hit on a couple things there. I mean, for me, one, uh, with the whole Cam Reddish thing, uh, uh, this is my first question. How how surprised were you being that he was part of the uh, Luca Trey Young transaction? How surprised were you that they that the team, he wasn't happy, but the team kind of didn't say, hey, man, you work for us. And they, they, they didn't do that. And they kind of gave up on him and gave him his wish and, and gave him a trade. And, and, and Steve, you're around the team a lot. My other question is, how much was this kind of a this year kind of a well we made it to the conference finals last year the next step is you know like uh you know getting to the nba finals i uh, just not realizing as a young team that you have to go back down to the bottom of the mountain again right you're right paul i i think that was part of it early in the year especially uh like i said they had that big stretch of injuries and and the covid stuff and all that but very early in the year uh, you could kind of see that uh, because every game in the playoffs, as you guys know, uh, you know, it's, it's do or die. It's, uh, you know, no tomorrow, all that kind of stuff. And and they went through that through, you know, the first round against the Knicks. Then they upset Philadelphia. They won a seventh game in Philly. Uh, you know, they, they won a couple of games against Milwaukee and maybe could have done even more. You know, Trey Young stepped on that referee's foot and he ended up being out. So uh, I think what happened was, you're, you're right, at the beginning of the year, uh, they started to look around and say, well, wait a minute, uh, you know, we're going to be playing some games on Wednesdays in January and, you know, and, and we have like 70 more to go. And I think that was part of it, that they had been so keyed up and it was, you know, they played until July 3rd. So there was a very short turnaround, uh, you know, the training camp, uh, they, they didn't have guys back together again. Uh, several guys had procedures during the summer, so they didn't play in any of the preseason games. But I do think that was part of it. They they were they were so high uh, to make it through all those playoff games, and then you realize you've got an 82 game schedule ahead of you. And I think that I think you're right. That kind of that was a big part of it early. Speaking with Steve Holman, voice of the Atlanta Hawks, as the Raptors get set for the Hawks tonight, first night of the back to back for the Raptors as they will play on Tuesday at home against the Heat. Um, Steve, I, I think you're the same as us. We generally avoid the rumor mill and 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 spinning just 
BS, so I won't put you in that position. Let me talk more just big picture in general. I don't know if there were truth to the rumors or not. There were rumblings about John Collins. Might he be dealt? Is he unhappy? Does he want to be at Atlanta? I look at this guy, and I, I mean, I don't know him personally, like to the extent that, that you may. I think he's having a hell of a season. He's been one of the few healthy players, speaking of health, playing in 44 games, starting in all 44, putting up, you know, 17 and 8. Uh, I can't imagine why he wouldn't be a part of this and why he would be unhappy with his role, with his lot, because he's a heck of a piece, and I think he's, you know, damn near as important as almost any player on that roster right now. Yeah, you're right, and he's not unhappy. I mean, I, I don't know where those things come from. Uh, you know, the trade rumors are always going to fly around. And, and when he was going to be a free agent uh, at the end of, of the year, before, you know, last year, everybody said, oh, well, he's gone, he's going here, he's gone there, he's got to be at this place, that place. You know, and they end up signing him. And uh, he's happy. Uh, you know, I, 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 I don't know what the trade situation is. I mean, that's, you know, way beyond, you know, my pay grade, as they like to say. But, uh, you know, I don't know what's going to happen with, with our, our front office, but I don't think – they're, they're planning on trading him. He and Trey work so great together. And uh, I, I just, I think, I don't know these rumors. I think there are too many, too many uh, bloggers now, and uh, the, you know, podcast people, and they sit in their mother's basement, you know, in their underwear and eat Cheetos all day, and they come up with these things. And I think that that's where a lot of it comes from, I believe. Well. Uh. The rumor mill is always going to go, Steve. I mean, we know that. There's, there's always like going to be. like that one, Paul, You stopped me in my tracks. Jonesy was just thinking, hold on You stopped me in my tracks. Hold on a second. I'm not a blogger, and I sit in my underwear and eat Cheetos. So Steve, is Steve talking about me? That's what Jonesy was saying. <laughs> Only watching football, Eric. Come on, not watching basketball. Only watching football. Steve, um, uh, go, go back, to the, go back to, the, to the Cam Reddish thing for me. Um, I'm... I, are, are you surprised that the organization kind of went through with this just such a short time after uh, he was drafted? And, and, and how, I mean, you said it, maybe addition by subtraction, but, but how, is, how, is, uh, how is this going to impact the Hawks moving forward? Well, I think what it does, actually, it, it, it helps in the fact that they had so many players at that one position uh, you know, when DeAndre Hunter came back, they were able to – Nate McMillan was able to, you know, rework the uh, the, the, the lineups, and, and he was able to get his rotations down. And, and there was just one too many people. And, and you know, I, we didn't realize this till Travis Slake, our GM, said it when they when they traded Cam, that, you know, he wanted out as early as this summer. Uh, he said he wanted to be traded. And he that's why he didn't play in the summer league. And it seemed like every time he got into a game now, he was trying to – you know, he would come in the game and jack up a three right away, and uh, you could see guys kind of hang their heads a little bit. So, you know, like I said, I don't know what was going on in the locker room the whole time, but I do know that they act like a different team right now. They all seem much happier. Uh, you know, I, I hope I, I like Cam. He's a nice kid. Uh, but, you know, he's in New York now, and the same thing is happening to him. He's not playing, and I'm not sure Thibodeau, you know, really really wanted him, or was that a front office thing? He's What's he been in, like, five games now, and he's had two DNPs, and I think he's played, like, five minutes in each of the other games. So, you know, I don't know what's going to happen, but as you guys know, in New York, that press there will will eat you alive if you start to complain or say anything. I mean, because he was able to, you know, be pretty quiet about everything here. Uh, like I say, we didn't know uh, that he wanted out this summer, but he had requested it all along. So uh, especially when DeAndre came back, uh, I think they were able to do that, and it, it's really helped the rotations. And, uh, you know, Nate uses mostly eight, nine, sometimes ten guys like yesterday. But uh, that to me, that's one of the things that it's, it's, it's made the rotations a lot more solid. The second unit has been terrific. I mean, they've been outscoring the other teams like crazy. So, uh, you know, who knows? But I, I do know Cam's a nice kid. I like them, and, uh, you know, I hope he does well in New York or wherever they end up, you know, sending him from there. But, uh you know, he has a lot of talent, that's for sure. But uh, if he wanted out, I think that was the best thing to do is to, to move him. Steve, we appreciate the time today. Uh, have a great call tonight, and uh, we'll look forward to seeing you one of these days. All the best. Yeah. Oh, I hope so. I mean, you know, I've been traveling. I know you guys aren't here tonight. I wish you were. But, you know, we, we've been traveling. We're just not going to come Friday to Canada. Uh, you know, will you guys please tell Trudeau to stop all this testing when you get off the plane and everything uh, so so we can come visit Canada again? 
Yeah, oh, we'll, Steve, we'll there's a bunch of truckers doing that now. Yeah, Steve, there's a bunch know, of truckers I, that have uh, fulfilled I, I your request right now. I, uh, I support those <laughs> truckers, uh, certainly do. So I uh, hope to see you guys soon. All right, Steve, <laughs> okay, appreciate Steve. the time. There is Steve Holman, uh, radio voice of the Atlanta Hawks, as the Raptors get set for the Hawks tonight, 730 uh, the tip time of that game. Um, I feel like I could get political right here, Jonesy, but we don't have Me enough too. time. We don't have nope. enough time, I guess. There's only about 90 seconds left. But 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 go ahead. If you've got something to say, I don't think I can say it in 90 seconds. No, I, I, I can't either. So uh, let's say uh, uh, from a personal standpoint, I'm just trying to keep myself safe uh, and not get sick and live as long as I can. Yeah, that's... Uh... That's perhaps a good way of, of, of saying it. We'll Fill in the blanks that. as you were, folks. Fill in the blanks as you wish as you were. I said well, what I listen. said. Okay, I, w- I will say this because I've said it before, and we can end the show on this. I, I, I believe I sent you the, uh, the screen grabs. Um, yeah. What do I keep saying to you? I don't think what we're doing here is right. I don't think what they're doing south of the border is right. I think somewhere in the middle is the answer. But when I look at, and, and, and heck, I could even put this up on Twitter. Or you can find it yourself. Just do a quick Google for cases in Canada versus cases in the states, cases in provinces versus in the states individually. Um, I believe nine of the ten provinces and and two of the three territories are below, like, 45 of the states when you look at cases per million. Uh, Like, we're as bad as things are here. We are way down the list. I'm talking like if, if we suddenly became, you know, the, the 60th and 64th states and whatever else, we'd be like 62nd, 63rd. And yet things are completely shut down. There's a happy medium somewhere. I, I believe there has to be. And knock on wood, knock on wood, we're starting to come out of this a little bit, knock on wood. And, and look at it. I'm looking out the window. The snow is melting. The sun is shining. We've got sports. We got lots going on, lots to be happy about, and we got the Raptors tonight at 7:30. Jonesy, we'll talk again tomorrow, uh, folks. Subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast. Please rate and review as well. Have a good one.